coming up next on The Health Hustle. Early on drinking for me, and for a lot of it, was just like fun. And I was known for being fun in that environment. And so then, but you play that out over years, and I am an alcoholic in recovery. And the thing about an alcoholic is like once we start, all bets are off. Like we don't know where it's going. We don't know what we're doing. And so year over year, then I start to need to introduce other substances to try to chase that fleeting fleeting feeling of that everything's going to be okay. Because ultimately I'm just trying to like, everything's going to be okay. And um, that didn't work. So play that out over 15 years. I accumulate some trauma. I make some wrong decisions. I make some dangerous decisions. And April 25th just so happened to be one that was publicly humiliating. And that piece of it for me was special because I was so desperate for everyone else to love me. And I, and I think as a human, like to some degree, like knowing that we really want people to like us, like that's okay, you know? Um, but you liking you is like paramount. And, uh, I, I didn't even know me, you know, I had, I don't know how many years it had been since I like spent five intentional minutes inside my own brain. Like I just didn't do it. If I'm in the shower, it's a podcast going on. There's always something on a phone call. I'm never with my own thoughts ever. And I'm waiting for the day of the week where now I'm going to go and have my alcohol to kind of like calm things down and to turn my brain off. So anyway, 25th was just a day where I was publicly humiliated for actions that I took in a blackout. And so uh, thankfully with that public humiliation, that was what I needed to be sufficient motivation to go, huh? So yeah, I was blacked out, but the decisions were still mine. And I wouldn't have been in that room if I hadn't have blacked out. So if I wasn't drinking, this stuff wouldn't happen and I wouldn't be in that room and I wouldn't be with those people. And so it was the first time where, I, I mean, there had been times in, in past experiences throughout those years where like I, you know, come to and have, done something and been like, Oh my gosh, I can't, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't wake up in a drive through whatever. Like it's not okay. Uh, you can't do that. You'd be mortified. And, and how could I be that person? I could never do that. But if you suffer from alcoholism, it's a number of days before you start to think that was a one-off experience. I won't, I won't do that. Like that's, that's not me. I won't do that again. I would never do that. That's crazy. Um, cause it is crazy, but that's the thing about alcoholism. <laughs> so anyway, that was what occurred, public humiliation. And then I finally decided to take ownership of my actions and get involved in a recovery program that could help me live sober, which I did not know that I could do until I went and got help. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On this show, we uncover the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. What's up, y'all? Corey here. And on this episode, I had a chance to sit down with my good friend, Claire Bays. Claire is a movement, mindset, and nutrition coach here in Austin, Texas, and hosts her very own podcast show called Conversations with Claire. I've listened to it many times. It's honestly a great show. She's a sober alcoholic with a huge passion for being a resource within the substance abuse and recovery community. Claire and her man, Eric Lija, share loads of content, and I mean so much content, on social media with the intention of showcasing ways that they're optimizing their life. Some of the things that we get into on this episode are young kid hood rat shit, starting her first business, what it means to be a doer over a thinker, which I'm totally the thinker, she's totally the doer, so that was a fun dynamic, some of her early business lessons, navigating relationships, which she is the master of, her rock bottom moment, you definitely won't want to miss that, why it's important to spend time alone, highly recommend it, feeling lost, coaching and content, meeting her partner, Eric, and so much more. 
One last thing, if you're a health or fitness professional and you're having difficulties getting leads, one of the most common reasons that I see this is not having a well-defined niche. If you go to the link in the description, I have a free three-step process that walks you through exactly how to get clarity on which niche is best suited for you and your business. Without further ado, let's go. Claire Bays, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing peachy. How you doing? PT? What does that even mean? Peachy. Peachy. Oh, yeah, we're doing good. I know you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but also peachy. That's good to know. So I I want to start out with hood ratchet. And just to like give people context about this is we were trying to figure out how to start Claire's journey. And somehow that phrase came up and it seems like a good place to start. Because even actually me, I was pretty hood rat as well. I remember like ripping some of the shingling off of like houses when, when I was a kid, which was like the dumbest thing ever. So I can relate to hood rat shit. Yeah. Um, so what about you? What was it like growing <laughs> up in Oklahoma doing hood rat shit? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I should probably preface. I, I was joking before we actually got on air, just saying like, you know, he's like, oh yeah, about your childhood. Like, when did you start to think about business? Whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I was just out there doing hood rat shit. So that's how <laughs> this even came up. And I don't mean hood rat. Like I was literally vandalizing necessarily or anything like that. Although like kids do silly things like they're kids they want to like push the boundaries like that's normal so honestly you ripping shingles off of course like adult you was like hey that's you shouldn't do that um but that's a pretty (laughs) honestly not crazy kid activity (laughs) what I mean is simply that I just yeah I grew up in a in a small town in Oklahoma and I was just out in the neighborhood like I mean from the time I feel like I could like crawl out the door you know like I was just out and so whether I was like on a skateboard or on rollerblades or on a bike or whatever like I was just out in the neighborhood until it's dark and then come home you know and so um, I would say I was a relatively unsupervised child into adolescence. And how was it in your neighborhood or in your family in terms of just like parents and keeping an eye on you and like watching over you like were they pretty protective or were you pretty free-spirited and kind of do whatever you wanted? Definitely free spirit could do whatever I wanted. Uh, My parents are wonderful. Like I have a great relationship with them today and they are stellar humans and they have always been stellar humans and they're still married. I'm really fortunate. Uh, They come from a different generation than we do. And so the way that they lived life was different than what we're doing now, you know? And so I think it's really cool when you can get to a place where you can recognize that like parents are just humans who had kids. (laughs) Right? Like they, they're not perfect. And we spend the rest of our lives fighting all that stuff about what our parents did or didn't do right. And it's, that's okay to acknowledge that. I certainly do. You know, there are things about the way I grew up that I'm not going to do when I go have kids. Cause that's a plan. Hopefully fingers crossed. Um, but so they were, I was just unsupervised. Like they, they both were working, they were employees my whole life and they were working full-time jobs plus. And so my mother worked over an hour commute, both directions uh, and long hours, more than full-time at the job, not to mention the commute. And then my father worked for the state of Oklahoma and his hours varied greatly. And he was very committed to his work and he was a social worker. And so he worked in child protective services. So I had two parents who absolutely loved me Mm. and absolutely were pretty busy trying to afford our lower middle-class living. And as a result, the supervision was relatively low. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I found an interesting conversation the other day with a friend of mine talking about how in that generation, boomers, right, essentially what we're talking about yeah. is that there wasn't a lot of discussion in the families that I am aware of about just the emotional side of like feelings and how are you feeling and how are things going on emotionally. Mm-hmm. 
So I'd be curious for you, because I know for me personally, that's like a new thing that I'm exploring is like how to even express myself emotionally as a human, because I've never put in the reps and I've never actually figured out how to do that. And so like not nothing to my parents. It just, mm-hmm. it wasn't in that generation. Mm-hmm. Do you feel mm-hmm. similar in that sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that if we trace it back even further, you know, our parents, if we're around the age of 30, give or take, I don't know, maybe even a decade, something like that. Like our parents parents were probably great depression ish time. Right. And so like you, like life's hard, like different than it is now. And you just got to like figure it out and get through it. Right. And then you like go on to the, our parents' generation. Like we look, it's like, well, they weren't really, yeah, they weren't talking about emotions the way that we speak about emotions today. Now it's an interesting place that we're in because now we are putting it all into the light, which is beautiful because if we have awareness, then we can do something about it. So that's cool. I vibe with that. But then also this whole like loneliness epidemic that is very real. And so it's worth acknowledging. And then it's like there are tools available to us to deal with this epidemic. And so just being a victim of this epidemic, once you recognize that there are tools and that you have autonomy, then then that's on you. Mm. So there's this really like acknowledge that that's real and it's really not okay because mental health is in a really fragile spot. And I hold space for that, you know, like that's, that's, if you're not doing good, like that's really freaking hard. And then at some point we have to say like, okay, I have control over my actions. I could do something about this. And I guess, I suppose, obviously there are some forms of like mental illness that need medication that I, I'm not trying to speak to all of that necessarily, but I I don't know. I, I feel like we're just trying to like sometimes push off the responsibility to like do the things to get us out of the rut. And like, sometimes that's our responsibility to take the action to get ourselves out of that spot. But speaking about our emotions, definitely it's cool that when you develop the language to be like, like your language are the limits of your world. I think that's like a, I don't know, Brian Brown or something, one of those great ones, you know, mm-hmm. quote. Uh, and it's cool. Cause it's true. When you learn there's the, the anger iceberg, you know, and there's all this stuff. Have you heard of it? No. Oh uh, yeah. So just like, um, you know, I am angry. Right. And so then if you look like a photo of an iceberg, the the top of it above the water that you can see small. And then if you were to see underneath the water, the iceberg underneath the water is like huge. Right. So you can Google this. And then there's all of these other variations of what the anger is actually masking or, or going over the top of or whatever. So it's like, oh, well, you feel angry, but really you are disappointed. You are scared. You know, you're, you, you feel in fear. You feel all these other, you know, whatever you're, you're anxious. You're, there's just a bunch of different ones that often it's masking. So then if we can see all those other ones and identify them, which that Atlas of the heart book is a beautiful book from Brene Brown that gives us a lot of language to use for our experiences. Cause then if we like get it, Oh shit, that's one. And that's actually, that better describes the thing that I'm feeling. Then you can like talk about it. It's cool. I've been fascinated with just linguistics in general lately from exactly what you're talking about is I had somebody on the show recently and we were talking about how English is one of the softest of all the languages in the sense that our words lack meaning and we have very few words to describe a lot of the things that we're experiencing emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like something as basic as the word love has so many meanings to it in the English language versus you look at other languages and they have a lot more ways to describe it. Mm -hmm. And I've said this my entire life is that I've wanted to learn other languages just so I have the vocabulary to express certain things that I'm feeling because otherwise I have no idea how to express a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been like this interesting journey of learning something as basic as like trauma. 
I remember I've heard that word my entire life, mm-hmm. but at no have point. You, have you heard that your whole life or did you start to hear that in your 20s? I don't know, I guess. Okay. I'm just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. No, no, no. Yeah. I feel like I've, maybe I'm just aware of that word. I've yeah. always been aware of that word. Okay. But I've never associated any meaning behind it because I've never truly understood what it meant until people started describing it to me and telling me about their experiences and I could actually associate with it. Yeah. But prior to that, it was just like a word in the dictionary. It was like, cool, trauma. I don't know what that is. Yep. Even though we all have it once you start to learn actually what it is. Right. But. I agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's continue your journey a little bit then. So growing up in Oklahoma, small town, eventually somewhere late teens, early 20s, you decided to do your own business. Can we tell that story? Yeah. Yeah. The whole story is like laughable um, in a cool way. So it was my first business venture, right? And I'm 18 years old and LOL. So I did not grow up in a household where we did business, right? I mean, my parents were employees and wonderful humans, but employees nonetheless. Never heard of a 1099. I hadn't heard of one until I owed a lot in taxes. Um, but so I am a passionate person. And one of the things that this whole lower middle class upbringing did do for me is, uh, you know, I, I wanted a, a phone. I had to get a job to get a phone. All my friends have phones. I want a phone. Um I, I want a car. I got to have gas in the car, you know, whatever. So, which I had a grandparent that had passed, which had to do with the car. So that helped. Of course, that's an unfortunate experience, but that's how that car that I had to get in through the passenger side to get over to the driver's side. And anyway, well, mm. I got that one. Yeah. Fancy. <laughs> yeah. But all of that built in this work ethic thing for me, which I have nothing but gratitude for. So from a very young age, it was, if you want something, you work for something. Mm. And then, so, so the work ethic piece was like baked in real young. You know, my parents work hard and I figured out I had to work to get stuff. And so anyway, that, that is something I'm grateful for. So then I get to, and, and I'm a passionate person and I, and I believe in, <laughs> If you work hard, you'll figure it out uh, to a fault, right? Like uh, I've made a lot of professional mistakes, but you do fall, fail forward, whatever. So I open a business at 18 years old. It's a nutritional supplement store. I convinced one of my friends that's in college. She was a year older than me, two years older. She was two years older than me. Can I pause you for a second? Sure. <clears throat> Why did you decide to start a business versus getting into a job? Because you obviously had the itch to make money so you could buy your own things, but the idea of starting a business seems unique. Yeah. And it definitely, that's, that is a great question. Round of applause. <laughs> I've, I've not been asked that question. So <laughs> that's great. Okay. So I, my first job out of high school, I graduate high school, which I attended fewer days than I did attend my last couple of years. Um, so there's that. And, and but passed? I, yes, because where I was, there was the dropout rate was extremely high. So they made me take some concurrent classes as a way to kind of deal with me. And for my high school courses, I just didn't show up very much. So yes, yes, that is. Because you didn't like school or because you weren't good at it? Uh, so the final time I went to this one principal the second time to deal with my absences, uh, he said, why don't you, why don't you show up? And I said, you don't teach me. Mm. And he said, you're right. So public education is rough, right? Like it's, it's a tough topic and it's easy to point the finger and it's tough to like, I'm not involved in making it better, you know, but, but is it a bad situation right now? Like, yeah. So I was in that. And anyway, 
I, I get out of high school. I know that I'm going to have to spend money to go to college. I don't feel motivated to go to college. I don't know what I want to do, whatever. I get a job at IHOP. This was not my first job, but this was my first job out of high school. So I quickly become shift lead. I'm going in at 6 a.m., getting off at 2 p.m., I'm making tips, whatever. And I start to gain weight. And I did not want to, my father was morbidly obese my whole childhood. My sister was morbidly obese my whole childhood. And so I saw what it did to their quality of life. And I didn't know the first thing about nutrition or uh, fitness, didn't play sports, whatever. But I didn't want to do that. And I knew that for sure. So this place had opened recently in town, uh, a nutritional supplement place, whatever. So I go there. It's new and people are going there and I don't know. So I find out about it. I go, they tell me two shakes a day, you'll lose weight two shakes a day and a meal. I do that. I do that for, I don't know, two months maybe and was like skinnier than I had ever been. And the world was giving me all this affirmation about how great I looked. And so anyway, I am definitely not someone who necessarily always does their homework. And I was just like, oh, this works. Like this works. This is great. So then I go put together a business plan and present because they, the people who owned that business, this was a multi-level marketing company. And so they are supposed to encourage you to also do what they're doing. And so they did. And so I said, okay, great. And don't get me wrong. Within six months, I have my own business, you know, open to the public and I'm taking the the mailbox money of $6,000 a month as an 18 year old, not to mention whatever the store's up to. So you know, it did work. And then I felt like a fraud because I hadn't actually figured out how to live a well-balanced life with nutrition. I just knew what severe caloric deficit was and surplus was. And I didn't even know that's what was going on. Those are just the only options I knew. So I felt like I was selling a false thing of, I don't know how to maintain this. Mm -hmm. So I actually sold out of my part of that business and left because I felt like a fraud. I was making great money, but I needed to go figure out how to actually live like a, a, quality of life sustainably that was good what was the skill that allowed you to be successful in that business to go to six thousand a month is super impressive yeah yeah the structure was cool uh i am enthusiastic when i'm enthusiastic Mm. and so i will work hard i will work long hours and i will talk about it to everyone and i as you can attest to (laughs) like uh so extroverted it's like disturbing um, you're like a 12 out of 10 it's, on the it, scale. It's a, I feel so sorry for Eric. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're still navigating. I'm like, you don't have to support me at everything. Go do your thing. Like, I, it's a lot. Um, but anyway, so I, I, what made it so successful is that I worked very long hours and I spoke to everyone about it. And I got people results and things like that. But the, the issue was I got them these severe caloric deficits, fast results, mm-hmm. which now in my coaching business is not how I approach this. Just because I've learned more about nutrition, which is what I was starting down that road at 18 years old and just opened a business. So you're very, you're a hustler, you're tenacious, you go after what you want. Have you always been like that? Uh, Let's see here. I think I would have to say yes. Yes. I think that I've definitely like, you know, I don't, uh, maybe, maybe in business, I don't, but definitely I think just will to a fault like just go Mm. like make a decision and there she goes you know so so I think so probably like there's probably a bit of that that's just like always been there um not not that we need to dive into your childhood unless you want to but I'm just curious as to where do you think that comes from or have you thought about that 
Oh, I mean, my grandmother, who was the the most involved adult party in my life, um, definitely. In comparison to your parents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was around more, for sure. So uh, she was a retired school teacher who liked kids. Mm. And she's also, like, the person I'm going to live the rest of my life trying to introduce the world to her. So, uh, but she was a go-getter. And my mother is a go-getter. I mean, this one, my mother is a woman who commuted an hour and a half back or an hour to work and home every single day, worked more than 40 hours a week forever. You know, uh, she's a hard worker. So I don't, I mean, I don't know, like the, the women in my family, they'd be working. So, and, and my grandmother was definitely just a hard worker and she was a hard worker in, in ways of like, you know, even just going and above and beyond in church or whatever, whatever she, it wasn't necessarily things that made money. My grandmother was a retired school teacher. So it wasn't that she was like business savvy, uh, but she did work very hard at things that she was fired up about. She'd be working on her lesson plans until 2 a.m. So. Mm. Okay. That explains a lot. I've heard you talk about your grandma a number of times yeah. and that explains why you obviously model and idolize her in a lot of ways. And that shows why you're such a tenacious hustler. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so you sold out of this business, decided to get out of it. And so two things from that that I want to pull out is one is that I think it's really interesting that you found yourself wanting to get just closer to what sounds like just health and nutrition through your own journey mm-hmm. of not wanting to gain a bunch of weight, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second thing from that, too, is like I can only imagine <laughs> the lessons that have probably come from starting your own business and then selling out of it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like that is such a unique journey at a, as an 18-year-old. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Are there things that you've learned from that experience that you now carry today? Yeah, I think uh, I think that there were definitely, I mean, it's I am 30, almost 31 years old right now. So that was already almost half my lifetime ago. Um, I mean, it was a long time ago. And so maybe a third, right? But so it's still been a long enough time that it's kind of like I have to like transport myself back there. Um, but lessons definitely would be the thing such as like you just don't take no as an answer you know, and that you keep on going. And, and so whether, and I suppose what I mean by don't take no for an answer is like, if someone says no, that doesn't actually mean no, that means no to them right now. And that's not your problem. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And that can be applied to business at most stages, I believe. Uh, You know, I mean, other details, of course, I learned things such as what it was like to be a 1099 contract worker for <laughs> for a company and how you have to pay your own taxes. So that was a good one. I learned some things there about that. Of course, I put together this business plan and presented it to a bank to get a loan for that little tiny business, which was a small loan, but nonetheless, I mean, to go and and that was as simple as like going on the internet, going onto Google and looking at business plans and then trying to copy a template to the best of my ability and then going and presenting it, which by the way, we did to multiple banking businesses and got told no by everyone but a small business and the business the small business said yes to this day I'm like what was that man thinking (laughs) Uh, but we did pay him back and in faster than we were supposed to so like you know he was thinking something it worked um and so then I think other than that you know recognizing things such as I chose to have a business partner and so you know we were supposed to have roles right and she owns she has renamed the business, moved locations. It's much larger now and still does the same thing to this day. And she has a wonderful quality of life with her family. So this is actually really cool. I got her to drop out of college, which was a lot, you know, but like it it has really seemed to have worked out. She seems very happy. 
uh, and we keep up with one another and I am very happy for her. So that's cool. But, you know, we had these like ideas of roles and it was just mostly ideas of roles and there wasn't sufficient amounts of information down on paper about those roles. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the agreements and the performance, you know, the different things that Cody would talk about, about business. So I think going into business with friends, business partnerships, a lot of people fall into this trap of business partnership with friends because like you're both passionate about the same thing. Yay. That's exciting. But like the toll that that's going to take on the friendship, um, will impact it in a way that it will never be what it was before you started to do that thing. So that's a choice you get to make. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but being aware that it's going to impact the relationship and, you know, half of marriages end in divorce or whatever, like the likelihood that this partnership that you come to agreement with on your business front is one that you stay in is like really unlikely. Like at some point you will probably part ways. And so maybe just, you know, having, having expectations be a little bit more realistic up front. Like those are things that I would think of. And, and, you know, so when we parted ways, it wasn't at daggers drawn or anything like that. But I think that both parties and when we're what, you know, 19 and 20, one 22 years old, you know, like we don't know what to do with any of this. And neither one of us were like, I, you know, it was, we, we part parted ways peacefully, but I think both party felt some sort of resentment about why well, I, I feel like you didn't quite do what I thought you were going to do or vice versa, you know, probably both ways. And so did it impact the relationship? And then for years after that, sure. But I think, you know, this many years later, like we're both have a lot of love for one another and that's totally okay. But it was a year long part. We signed a one year partnership agreement. We, and it was a very basic one and we did that. And then at the end of the one year I said, Hey, uh, I don't want to be here anymore. And then she took it and that was that. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's something I think a lot about is the idea of having a partner. And I've always resisted it in so many ways for exactly what you're talking about of the aspect of, just the relational dynamic of that. And I find myself just knowing my own personality type. I'm a relatively disagreeable person. And so I challenge most everything. And I've always questioned if that's good to be in a partnership in knowing my personality type. So are you, would you do it again? Like, would you partner with somebody again in terms of business? Or is that something that you would just would step away from for now? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of benefits to be had about a business partnership. So but I mean, the structure, there's so many different ways to go about like being in business with someone, right? So like, I, I think that where I'm at in, in my journey now with this new latest venture is that doesn't even, that's not something that I'm needing to think about right this moment. And there's not a prospect that I have in mind for a thing, right? So uh, it's not really something I have to put much thought into, but do I anticipate going into business with other humans in the future? Absolutely. Uh, and that can look a lot different. I think that definitely, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the same thing I feel applies there that does in any sort of relationship you're in, whether it's with your mother, your sister, your spouse, your best friend, you know, whatever you just do the very best. And so in business, definitely getting as much clarity in writing down as possible because humans are naturally like designed to like have their best interest at like paramount always. And so they're not even a bad person. If their best interest and your best interest don't align, it doesn't mean that they have it out for you. They have their best interest at the paramount, which is like what they should do. So 
anticipate that like that's going to happen. Right. And so expect that. And then, and then there are things like, yes, getting it down in writing as clear as possible, what the rules are, what the expectations are. If you do not do this, this is the repercussion or vice versa, you know, all that stuff, right. Which there are people that do legal jargon that could help with that. (laughs) That ain't me. Um, but I would like encourage that. I would encourage that for myself to enlist that type of assistance in clarification of roles up front and in writing, because I definitely did do a career in real estate for six and a half years as well. And uh, so I wrote a lot of contracts in that business. And I know that through representing, working with my clients and their transactions for real estate, if it is not in writing, it is not real. And so I can, you know, you can take that and put that into whatever business. If it's not in writing, it's not real. Totally. And so that would be a huge thing with a partnership or whatever that I would be thinking of. And then from there, moving forward, the other things to nurture the the relationship actually being a productive one would be to have some sort of like regularly set form of communication where you can actually speak about things. Because if we don't communicate on whatever the topic is, then I am operating from my narrative about whatever I think that you think. So like, oh, well, I'm feeling some sort of friction here. So I'm operating from my assumptions without actual knowledge of anything that's going on inside your brain. And I have tested this so many times in my life to discover that when I have the tough conversation with a person that actually there's all this other stuff I was completely unaware of, or it wasn't even what I thought it was like literally at all. So then when you gain the perspective of what's going on with them, then you can actually like do something productive with that, you know? And so I think that that would be the other thing with like a partnership would be clear expectations up front in writing. And then I would also want to uh, just have some form of a plan for communication. Well, thanks for tapping into your inner Cody Sanchez right there because that was very helpful this, <laughs> at this moment for me right hey, now. <laughs> navigating relationships is like my shit. So like <laughs> if we apply it to a business, I guess that's fine. Yeah. But in general, like like we humans together, like that we always are go- got to do it. Like we got to do it. And so we got to try to figure out how to like do it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. love that. So – Moving through this journey a little bit then. So you were 20 grand in debt from tax debt is what it sounds like at this point. Yeah, I think it was around the age of 21 when I finally uh, called the IRS, spent hours on the on hold to finally get the documents that I needed about how much I'd owed in taxes for those years and then took them to an accountant and sat down with him and he said, sweetie, you owe a lot of money to the IRS. Did you have the money at this point? No, absolutely not. I did not have that money. I set up a payment plan with them and I paid it off. Doing what? Real estate? Or how were you making the money at this point? Uh, I worked originally, like the first, I think it, no. At the, so at that time I was doing a couple of different jobs. I always had two to three jobs. A lot of the time I'd have two to three jobs. And so, uh, yeah, um, at that time I was working at a property management company and I was also bartending. So what, what was your favorite job of all the jobs you've done? I like my life right now. It's okay. pretty dope. So, I mean, they definitely like, I like, <laughs> I like the whole coaching shtick. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I fought that so hard. And now that I'm doing it, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck with this. Uh, so, but if we weren't to say what I'm doing right now, cause what I'm doing right now is super cool. But, totally. but other than that, I, oh, proximity bias is real too. So, mm-hmm. but the real estate thing was cool. I was not looking to leave that. Like when I took the opportunity to go jump into the fitness space for work, uh, that took some real sitting with because I was so comfortable in my real estate job and I didn't do a bad job at it and helping people navigate these transactions, which are highly emotional things for them 
was a really cool, rewarding job. So I enjoyed that quite a bit as well. Cool. Yep. Um, are you open to sharing April 25th? This year or two years ago two or years ago. two years ago? Yeah. Uh, what would you like to know? Um, just the story behind, just to give some context in terms of like who you are as a human and kind of where you are at today, just to kind of humanize you a little bit. Cause yeah. I feel like a lot of people probably see you online and they're like, Claire's crushing it. She's amazing. Look at all this awesome stuff. She's got like yeah. such a great content and creation and community and everything. And it's like somebody starts somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, I definitely want to <laughs> make it really clear. Like we are all human and we are all always going through all sorts of whatever. So anyone that you're ever looking up to on the internet, know that they have so much of their own shit. It's not even funny. So always remember that I'm not, I am no exception to that, <laughs> that I feel is a rule. So, uh, two years ago. So today is May 6th, 2023. So April 20. 20- 6th, 2021 was the day of my sobriety. That's when I got sober from drugs and alcohol. So you're referring to the day prior mm-hmm. to the day that I got sober. So I will say on my own podcast in the very first episode of that podcast, there is a more length version of the story. Um, and you can go listen to that there. I don't want to spend too much time on that story, Boy. but I'll give enough context. So I started drinking alcohol when I was 13 years old. I blacked out the first time and I blacked out multiple times a week from then until almost uh, 29, right? So 15 years of my life, I spent drinking alcohol multiple days per week. And there were ebbs and flows of times where it was more prominent in my life and less prominent in my life. But either way, it was always a part of my life from that young, young age. And it was completely normal to black out. And then of course you, you get further along and I start to have more resources, money, and I want to now introduce other substances because I'm chasing this fleeting feeling of the first time I ever got drunk. I I like was like so fun and it was right around puberty for me, which was a time when I went from like an ugly, ugly duckling to like not so much anymore. (laughs) And so all of a sudden I, for the, I mean, I had like never before am now getting like attention from boys conveniently lines up at a real great time and I'm fun to the girls and I want to be your friend, you know? So early on drinking for me and for a lot of it was just like fun. And I was known for being fun in that environment. And so then, but you play that out over years and I am an alcoholic in recovery. And the thing about an alcoholic is like, once we start, all bets are off. Like we don't know where it's going. We don't know what we're doing. And so year over year, then I start to need to introduce other substances to try to chase that fleeting, fleeting feeling of that everything's going to be okay. Cause ultimately I'm just trying to like, everything's going to be okay. And, um, that didn't work. So play that out over 15 years. I accumulate some trauma. I make some wrong decisions. I make some dangerous decisions. And April 25th just so happened to be one that was publicly humiliating. And that piece of it for me was special because I was so desperate for everyone else to love me. And I, and I think as a human, like to some degree, like knowing that we really want people to like us, like that's okay, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but you liking you is like paramount. And, uh, I, I didn't even know me, you know, I had, I don't know how many years it had been since I like spent five intentional minutes inside my own brain. Like I just didn't do it. If I'm in the shower, it's a podcast going on. There's always something on a phone call. I'm never with my own thoughts ever. And I'm waiting for the day of the week where now I'm going to go and have my alcohol to kind of like calm things down and to turn my brain off. So anyway, 25th was just a day where I was publicly humiliated for actions that I took in a blackout. And so 
thankfully with that public humiliation, that was what I needed to be sufficient motivation to go, huh? So yeah, I was blacked out, but the decisions were still mine. And I wouldn't have been in that room if I hadn't have blacked out. So if I wasn't drinking, this stuff wouldn't happen. And I wouldn't be in that room and I wouldn't be with those people. And so it was the first time where, I, I mean, there had been times in, in past experiences throughout those years where like I, you know, come to and have done something and been like, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't wake up in a drive through whatever. Like it's not okay. Uh, you can't do that. You'd be mortified. And, and how could I be that person? I could never do that. But if you suffer from alcoholism, it's a number of days before you start to think that was a one-off experience. I won't, I won't do that. Like that's, that's not me. I won't do that again. I would never do that. That's crazy. Um, cause it is crazy, but that's the thing about alcoholism. <laughs> so anyway, that was what occurred, public humiliation. And then I finally decided to take ownership of my actions and get involved in a recovery program that could help me live sober, which I did not know that I could do until I went and got help. I feel like most people would struggle with that aspect of ownership or something like that. I think it's so much easier to point the finger outward. Mm. Why was that the decision you decided to make? Was there something going on in your life or were there mentors in your life that maybe showed you that you do own everything? I, I think if I had known that I owned everything prior to that, I wouldn't have had the long going relationship with alcohol that I did have. You know, I, I think not owning my actions when substances were involved was the norm. Sure. Yeah. So no, uh, my grandmother who had that big hand in raising me, she died two months before that. And so I remember that was a distinct moment for me of I handled the stuff because I'm a doer. So I did the things I, I was very involved in the week following her passing and it was sudden. And then I, I drove away from my hometown after that week. And I, I clearly, I mean, I poured a very large gin and tonic in my, you know, when I headed off to wherever I was headed off to, to do whatever I was going to do. And I said, I don't want to feel like, I remember, I don't want to feel like it was a very distinct, I'm not willing to do this. I know that I'm going to now have to deal with grief and I'm not prepared for that. And I'm not willing to do it. And so I don't want to feel things. So then over the course of those next two months, it just got out of hand with like the, the bender went longer and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I certainly think that her passing was a fast track for me of, of substances evolving to a new level of, not just for fun, oopsie, made a mistake, shouldn't do that again, but it's okay, that's whatever, to now I'm absolutely doing all of this to be numb. I'm doing anything I can do to not feel what I know I'm going to feel. And so that ran its course pretty quick. How long did it take for you to start being okay alone with your thoughts? <laughs> After, that was hard. You know, I actually... Uh, had lunch today with a, a couple people uh, somebody's in town visiting Eric and it's super cool because they like want a challenge of his and it's so cool to see that like get to happen mm. um and they were asking the question about the early sobriety stuff I mean it takes time and and mine's unique in the sense of the fact that if you're starting to explore mindfulness then you know if you're not coming to mindfulness from like rabbit alcoholism, right? Then like, maybe it's not such a stark, like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it isn't unique. Uh, I didn't like my thoughts cause they were bad. <laughs> like you're terrible. What are you, you're ruining your life. I mean, it was, it was not good. Uh, 
my life was unraveling. And so when I start to go to therapy, be involved in recovery and be told, oh yeah, you need to spend time inside your own brain. And that was like a therapist making that recommendation and a mentor making that recommendation. So I start to stop listening to things when I'm in the shower. I start to intentionally not just be listening and consuming stuff all of the time on the phone all of the time. And instead just spend some intentional time inside my own brain. Uh, it was, it was hard and it was hard for a while. I think the first 90 days in particular were really hard. Mm. And, and then it was kind of, you know, I feel like the whole first nine months of sobriety was pretty challenging. And, and then it started to get crazy, good, crazy fast, but it's also still hard. It's hard in different ways. I now know that over two years into sobriety that I'm still uh, a person fully capable of making wrong decisions. And, you know, if for some reason you think like, oh, I've cleaned up my act. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you still hurt people and do things. You're like, wait, but my brain is safely inside my head. What? <laughs> what am I? What? You know, so you're still a human. And that's a later sobriety lesson. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite words of all time is integrity. And I think about that word all the time because I think when people hear it, they think about other people and being honest with other people. But I argue that it's more important to be honest with yourself. I think that's a way more important person to be high integrity with because like the the phrase or the quote that always ruminates in my brain is that the only thing at the end of the day that really matters is what you think about yourself when you're by yourself and I feel like it's a good way for me to like filter a lot of the things that I do in life is like can I sit alone tonight with my thoughts and be totally cool with the thing I'm about to do mm. and so I've always loved that expression but I've heard you talk about on other ep episodes about the concept of just fear in general mm -hmm. and how so much of that drives our choices and our behaviors. And I would agree. I think that honestly, at the end of the day, I think fear drives probably most everything, every mm -hmm. worry or fear or every anxious feeling or discomfort you have is probably rooted in fear mm -hmm. of some form or other past or future. What about now today? Like, how are you feeling in regards to that relationship with fear? Yeah. Awareness is a powerful tool. And so if I know that it's happening, I can at least know that it's happening, right? Like I can observe it and that spending time inside your own brain. I love what you're saying about the integrity thing. Um, you know, I definitely also do believe that there, like I would look at, I just want to say this and then I'll head off into the fear thing. But, uh, with all those 15 years prior to sobriety for me, right. Um, that was a misguided and lost girl. Like I was lost and I was looking for something in the wrong places, right? So giving space to the fact that that's where I was there and people will be in that space of being lost and making decisions that don't align with their principles and values because they haven't done the homework to figure out their principles and values yet. And it doesn't mean they're bad people. I do not believe that that version of me was a bad person. She was lost and she needed some help and thankfully received some. So when it comes to, and she always needs help. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but when I think about fear, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it is, you are, you, we're afraid of, of what is somebody going to think of me? What am I going to think about this? What if I don't succeed? What if I do succeed? You know, I, I, for some reason, this makes me want to tell this story with like shame and empowerment that is, you know, uh, I was in a room not too long ago with all these women and the topic was about your relationship with money. And so everyone was supposed to take the physical shape of their relationship with money. Right. And so it was an interesting exercise. And so three, two, one go, everyone takes the physical shape with their body of what they feel their relationship with money is today. And it was a lot of embodiment of fear mm -hmm. and defeat mm -hmm. and shame 
and all of that, right? And me and one other girl in the room are uh, standing in empowered positions. And so then I now feel ashamed Mm. because all of you feel this way. And I feel poorly that I don't relate to you in that way or that maybe I have some upper hand on this specific topic which we could go talk about another topic and I'm not taking the same position, you know? But so I felt like truly guilty in the moment of like, now I feel bad. Mm. Uh, and then you have like, I had to flip that and go, no, that was showcasing to those women what is possible. So when you choose to live that high quality of life that you choose to live with your fitness and all of that, like you are showcasing to other individuals what is possible and there's empowerment in that. So Anyway, that was a total tangent. That was great. But with the fear thing, yeah, I think just knowing that there's always like a fear all over the place. You know, I'm I'm, I'm afraid of of life not getting better. I'm afraid that life is too good right now. I'm afraid that the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath me and my relationship can't really be this good. And when is the the other shoe going to drop? And, you know, I mean, uh, whatever, uh, fear of everything, right? Mm -hmm. And, but if I can just acknowledge it and then try to let go of my tight grasp of it, like I'm not in charge of all of this, you know? And so for me, that is an extreme, like, what do you do with the fear? How do we handle it? Like if we know that it exists and there's so much of it and it's just running our lives, then like, what do we do with this? And so for me, a form of practice daily that helps deal with the fear is see it, acknowledge it, do my best to go, is that of service? to me is that of service to other individuals or is that something that maybe needs to be let go and just to the best of your ability and that comes through the form of prayer for me so I pray about it and don't take ownership of it and understand like that there's a lot going on in this world that I don't control and so is what I'm afraid of something that I have any control over or not and do I need to kind of let up my grasp a little bit I love that story about how you would embody money because I'm just now framing in my head how I might show up. And even anyone listening, I feel like maybe think about how you might show up in that situation because that shows a lot about how you feel about something like that, right? right. And that could be true for really anything for that matter. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you physically embody something? And not only that, like, how does it make you feel even when you think of that position or think of that situation? So yeah, that was great. Well, and I think the other thing that was cool that happened there is all of a sudden all of these, I don't know, say 25 individuals, see they're not alone Mm. that was another really cool piece of that was that that they got the opportunity to see that all of these other individuals who are in different stages of life and different financial you know well-beings whatever are also all really struggling with this topic Mm. and so it was kind of it was empowering in the way of like dang you're really not alone and then also what are we going to do about it to make it better Somebody asked me a question that I want to ask you because it was kind of an eye-opening moment for me, and I just want to see how it resonates with you. So I was at Zilker Park not that long ago and took what I thought would be considered like a microdose of psilocybin. It was like a little chocolate bar piece, and I looked into it, and it was like a half a gram, only to find out that apparently like that's like a decent amount of psilocybin. I don't know enough about it to know, but like you should have some sort of experience from that. And I didn't. Nothing happened and no experience really. And I was like, that's interesting. I feel like I had enough that maybe I would have noticed something and I didn't. And I was talking to a friend about it and he's very educated in that space about that type of medicine, right? And he's like, his first question, which is what I want to ask you, is he goes, what's your relationship with control? 
And I was like, oh, bad. He's like, not good. I was like, not good at all. He's like, yeah. He's like, the brain's interesting. Like you can fight off certain experiences just through your own chemistry based on like how your relationship are with certain things. And mm. I was like, hmm, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> Like that I probably just fought it off because like I have for sure and not a great relationship with control in general. But so I'm curious. Yeah, that's a very interesting like uh, situation to be in and for that to have been the outcome. Like that's kind of wild. Yeah, I thought so too. That <laughs> you, yeah, I don't even like I've the idea that you could it. like biologically be like that just, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's wild. I know. Uh, I've been journaling about it a lot lately. So that's like, crazy. Um, yeah. I have nothing to contribute on that part of that. Cause I'm like, bro, I don't know. <laughs> I know that it is, it is wild what we can do with our bodies. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, with control, I think it's definitely better today than it ever, you know, I think, I think it's not where I want it to be, but certainly better than it's been before. And I think that, that, that is that whole journey of, coming into this mindful time and becoming a spiritual individual because today I definitely am. And I spent the majority of my adult life being agnostic and I'm not hating on it at all, mm -hmm. but, uh, spirituality really serves me. And so for me, having something greater than me that is in control and is not me removing that from myself allows me to have this peace that I don't get to experience if I'm in control. And so it's just like, yeah, I don't want that anyway. Like, I, I don't want that anyway. So mm, I'm good. So mm -hmm. you still have to revisit that. That's not like a, you know, you take the magic pill and you had it forever. It's a practice. And and if I'm not brushing up on my practice and taking daily actions, then I start to want to take back control. And then I start to get a little cuckoo. Mm -hmm. uh, but today, that cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs that we <laughs> started with. But <laughs> at least right now, uh, I have a good relationship with that daily practice to give that stuff up. Because it's just, it's not, it's not mine. And I don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I, uh, again, I'm totally improving in that space as well. So I just, I was just curious about that question for you, but, yeah. uh, so following your journey then let's get into who you are today and what you're doing. So you're coaching at the collective. You're no, no, I'm not coaching at the collective. You're done. I, I stopped work. So they've opened two locations and it's been a very, very peaceful parting, but I'm actually not coaching at the collective. So I was supposed to have been moved to the North location mm. was the goal from them. And then for me, that just didn't there were a handful of different, like I've got a lot of events going on and it's a further distance and we didn't know for sure what was going to need to happen. And they, as a business need to decide who goes where and they get to make that decision. So when the decision was made that I was going to be moved North, we just sat down and had a real heart to heart about you want to do it all. Can you actually do it all? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and had a very, like I said, respectful and peaceful parting there of, you know, it actually like driving up to this location and rebuilding here is actually something that maybe if I'm not super bought in on that idea, then I don't want to waste your time. Totally. And I don't want to build resentment from either party. And so it was a very, like I've, I have nothing but respect for Jeremy and I'm excited about what they're up to and I want to support them in the ways that I can, but physically in the location, uh, doing the job, I'm not doing that right now. Totally. So yep. then what is Claire Bay is doing yeah. with her day to day now? Yeah. So I am coaching, <laughs> but I'm doing a lot of remote coaching. And so I do events in person a decent amount and I love those. And that's something that you and I think relate heavily on because community events is like something you seem to love and do really well with. And I even want to like pick your brain more about that because it's something you're super into. And, um, but so anyway, so I do a number of different 
in-person events, whether that's coaching at the event, the movement piece of it, or whatever, uh, working with the brand, coaching people through cold therapy, whatever it might be. I love doing that type of stuff. So I do that. And that's kind of like, you know, on a contract basis, if you will. And then other than that, I do last year, I started working on building out my coaching app wellness with Claire. And so that launched in January. And so that's been going on for since January 1st of this year. And so that community is growing. Sweet. And so that's a both group coaching and a one-on-one coaching. And so I've got group coaching where they get all, they get once weekly group coaching calls with me and then they have a community and, uh, let's see here. They get their, their movement stuff. So they get their programming each week, progressive overload resistance training. And then they also get, uh, nutrition plans with exact meal plans. So that's part of the group thing. And then the one-on-one gets all of that. And also just like texting and call or yeah, texting with me and the once weekly one-on-one calls. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I know you're a big believer in putting one foot in front of the other. So setting that aside for a moment, where's the future of Claire going? (laughs) I don't know. Just sunshine and rainbows, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. That makes me want to tell a story. Um, yeah, where, where am I going? I don't know exactly. I know that the actions that I'm taking today are expanding my education and my skills. And so where that actually goes, I couldn't tell you. There's a number of different things that I like the idea of and want to be involved in. But, you know, for me right now, being involved in community events, because one of the things with the whole content creator bit that occurred accidentally last year. Um, I've discovered through that so far that like just doing that on the internet, like I'm just posting things. Maybe the experience of creating it was fun and collaborative and I love those memories and those interactions with those humans, but the post itself and then the action interaction that goes on the internet, like that doesn't fill my cup. Mm. And I do feel like to speak to any creator, uh, your cup does deserve to be filled too. Like it's not just a you give situation. You need to be involved in the community that you're of service to would be my recommendation if you're anything like me. And so like taking a real look at, are you getting something back out of that deal? So uh, yeah, events are important to me and I want to be a part of that stuff in ways that make sense. And then right now, and then that coaching thing where I actually get to engage with my people and like really have like meaningful impact and dive into like the details of their lives and how we can really do some work. That stuff uh, fills my cup. So I want to do more of that right now. But yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about where we're headed. I want to have meaningful impact. And I think there's a lot of ways that you can go about doing that. And for right now, I just need to read a lot of fucking books Hmm. and I need to listen to a lot of other people. What kind of books are you reading right now? Mm, this very moment, I am reading. Like, what's the topic that you're leaning into? Mm, I, I like biography, autobiography. I really enjoy reading those, like, at bedtime. And then I enjoy reading other just, like, educational things. So I, I like the whole self-help shtick, right? So, I mean, like, for the, I feel like this is a good picture of, like, the genres that I would enjoy. Uh, during the daytime right now, I'm reading... Mm, Smart Couples Finish Rich, which is just a book about nine lessons or something like that about financial wellness and specifically for couples. And so that's something I'm reading like during the daytime now. And then uh, in the evening, I'm reading.
reading about face. It's a book. It's a behemoth of a book, but it's a book from a general from the army. Mm. Um, he was like Jocko Willink's like main inspiration. Whenever oh, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a really cool book. Hack, Hack, General Hacksworth. Hackworth uh, is the name of the the general that it's all about. And so, and they've done extensive. Anyway, really cool. Big book. So I read that in, at night before bed because I think it's really interesting to hear those stories and all the leadership stuff that's packed in there yeah. um, with these like stories that relate to our history too. So anyway, I don't know. Well, I like the aspect that you bring up, just that local community piece of it because mm-hmm. it's honestly the reason that I do only like a live in-person podcast interview even even to the point where I actually had a buddy who flew into town just to like sit down and hash it out actually in person because it's just like so much more meaningful to me to actually do the in-person stuff, which is actually... Same reason I'm doing the local community stuff. Even Josh Job sitting over here watching us in terms of Austin fitness community. Um, same thing, right? It's like having the local community and the face-to-face is just like so much more valuable. Mm-hmm. I want to pull on something you said earlier because it's the polar opposite of me. You said, you said I'm a doer. I'm a thinker. Mm. To the point where I literally ordered stickers that a mantra that I say myself often is less thinking, more doing. And so I'm curious as a doer, because I know I know my weak spots in terms of being a thinker of like having to find ways to get myself to execute on the reverse side of that for you as a doer. What do you do to balance that out? That is an excellent question. And I think being able to even identify where you fall on that spectrum, right? And then what you could be doing, because because being the doer, I do things faster than I verify that that was the right thing to do. <laughs> and that's the truth. And I mean, even talk about all this like public speaking type stuff. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I am such an open book that sometimes like, I'm like, where will that, what will that look like later? You know, like, <laughs> will you be like, yeah, that checked. Or will you be like, you freaking idiot. Why did you tell the whole world that? Yeah. So that's just one avenue. Um, as, so how do I try to balance that is try to then like really truly think about am like, am I being reactive with my decisions? And so then even like in business, since we're talking about business here, you know, is, is this decision that I'm about to make this thing that I'm about to do, is it coming from a place of like, have I sat with this long enough to be sure that this is a decision that resonates with me on like a a deeper level that I can like get down with this maybe on like a principles values level. Um, but yeah, so I think like trying to pause before taking action, just trying to actually be like, wait a second, like you don't need to spend respond to whatever that is immediately. Give yourself a moment, let yourself process that and then, and then do something about it. And so like that gap of time, right. Of like where for me, the gap of time from the think to do is like immediate and for you, the think to do is a, is a lot longer for because sure. you're thinking so thoroughly that you will think yourself into not doing. Fact. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's interesting. And, and like, I have work to do on that, like, without a doubt. So that's like my, my thought on it while I'm actively in the shit of it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Does Eric, I assume, help with this stuff quite a bit? We are opposites in a number of ways we have a lot in common we both are fanatical about fitness and overall like like our both of our like life missions to like you know inspire other humans to live better quality of lives is like totally aligned which is way cool uh but he is an introvert mm, same 
and I am an extrovert. Totally. Uh, he is a thinker. Same. And I am a doer. I love Eric for the record. How did you guys meet? He's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, we met because we uh, we met up for a, fit, a fitness thing. So I I guess I had come into on it, and he had seen me in there, but I didn't know who he was. Like I was new in Austin, going everywhere and doing everything, and I was in on it one day filming, and he came back from Europe and. I don't know who he is, but I guess he like saw me and was like, who is that? What is going on in there? And then he started to follow me and he's someone in the fitness community in Austin. So I follow him back. And then I learned that there's these Leha brothers uh, on it. And then they're both like, Hey, like let's hit a workout, whatever. So I like had scheduled to like do something with both of them, but I didn't know who was who. And so, and then he actually canceled on me the first time we had plans. Mm. And, um, anyway, yeah. So we met up for a workout and, then yeah that's that's that that's how we met (laughs) (laughs) he definitely says that like he vets people in that way as far as he cancels the initial date and then (laughs) the cancellation bit which he's been public about this so actually he canceled on me because he was partying oh okay (laughs) and he's been sober since we met and so he's been very public about that but actually like sobriety came into his life when i did and that's been a really cool journey for us together and so um but Yes, he canceled on me because he was having a grand old time doing whatever he was up to. And then we rescheduled a couple of days later. We met and then he was curious enough about the whole sobriety thing to get involved. So he's he's open about that. I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't publicly say. I haven't figured out if sobriety is just a thing now or if it's just in the circles that we play in. Because I can't Mm -hmm. tell you the number of people that I've met that just don't do it anymore. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I think it's. It is interesting because for me, of course, I'm coming from this like, dang, I made messes, you know, and then there are just people who are just like, yeah, well, it just doesn't really like resonate with me anymore. And so you get to be somewhere wherever you want to be on the spectrum, if that's the choice that you make. A lot of the people that were around are in this like optimization Mm. thing, right? Like we're like, let's optimize it all. Let's make our lives as good as so for those individuals, they're looking at the repercussions that come from the act of intaking substances and often going. Yeah, so the repercussions outweigh the good. Right. And so I think that's what's happening is what it seems like to me when I have those conversations. But do I think that it's like so widespread? No, I think we live in a microcosm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm just always curious about that because like, yeah, I think more often than not people are like me specifically. I just value my mornings so much. It's like not worth it for me. Mm -hmm. I love my mornings. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to give them up for a night of drinking of any form. Mm -hmm. So... I have a round of rapid fire questions. First thing that comes to mind, you ready? What's your best business advice? Tap into your Cody Sanchez. Do the thing. Mm. What's your favorite part about entrepreneurship? You can't get bored. (laughs) When are you the most productive? I'm actually curious about this for you. When are you the most productive? Mornings. Are you? Okay, Mm -hmm. fair. Mm -hmm. Who's your inspiration? Grandmother. Mm, knew it. What's one secret about you or something just most people don't know about you? I'm obnoxiously public. Uh, like, disturbingly so. Something that people don't know about me. Uh, I can't sing. Like, I'm not good at it. I don't like doing it. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. What's your best marketing advice? Storytell. Oh, I love that so much. I've become obsessed with that word lately. I was at a panel with Tim Ferriss at South by Southwest not long ago, and they were pinging him about like what he contributes so much of his book to his podcast, to his 
investing to everything that he does. And it was literally storytelling, which is insane to think about. If you want to market anything, you need to make it like relate to the consumer. So the best way to do that is to tell a story. Totally agree. I think. What would you change about yourself? Not a damn thing. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite app or resource right now? And you can't say the one that you you're, you can't say yours. Because <laughs> I, I feel like that's what you're going to say. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. Let me give it. My favorite app right now or resource? Mm-hmm. Resource. I think if I have to go with like, I mean, books, like physical books. Can that be, does it have to be yeah. on my phone? No. Oh, physical books, hand down, hands down. Why physical over an ebook or something? I enjoy the action of reading the physical book. I think that that's really all there is to it. I really enjoy that, like, hands on the paper thing. And I just, I'm becoming hyper aware of the reality that the people that inspire me the most consume a ton through that format. And, uh, like, if I want to be like them, I want to do things they do. So I read. Mm. When were you the happiest? I'm pretty happy right now. What's your favorite part about Austin? And you can't say the people. Bro, but it's the people. I, know. <laughs> I I had this question enough times that enough people said the people. I was like, okay, I think we get it. People here are cool. Can we give a different answer? So I don't think we'll use it anymore. Ah, it's so easy to be fit here because it's it's more normal here than it is hardly anywhere. So I I love that Austin is the size that it is and that it's as warm as it is and. I'm telling you more than one right now, (laughs) but there are so many options. There are different flavors. There's not judgment. You just do whatever, like you do you. And it's, it's, that's cool. I love it. I have one last question before I ask the question though. I just want to acknowledge you for owning your story, for doing it from a place of doing an action and execution. And even if it's messy, you still show up and do it. And for genuinely wanting to help a lot of people and for putting on your own podcast show that people honestly appreciate. And I've listened to many times Mm -hmm. to creating content, to following whatever entrepreneurship looks like to you, Mm -hmm. to working as a bartender or at IHOP when you need to just to cover the bills and to, for being here today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the contribution. Since I moved to, you were actually one of the people I met like way, way early, like right when I moved here. I want to say it was probably at an on it event actually. Yep. Uh, but anyway, no, I appreciate you because you've always been supportive and curious and like, gen- like genuinely supportive. Like the fact that you've even consumed the podcast whatsoever, you know, I mean, it would be perfectly okay if you hadn't, but anyway, I appreciate how supportive you are of the people within this community and it's cool to watch it work back for you. Like from a distance, I see all of the stuff that seems to be working for you as well. And that makes me like hype the fact that you're in the physical fitness, best shape of your life right now. Like I want that for you. So I think it's so cool to see that that's, that's real. And I'm excited to see where you go from here. Cause you're doing work. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. I acknowledge that. Yeah. Uh, last question. Oh, before I ask it, what's your plug? Where can people find you? Oh, you know, Instagram at Claire Bay, C-L-A-I-R-E-B-A-Y-S. You can also find me on Conversations with Claire, which is my podcast. You can find that wherever you consume podcasts. And from there, those will jaunt you out into everything else. I, of course, have my app. That's at ClaireBaysCoach.com. You can apply for one-on-one coaching with me there if you would like, or you can just sign up for the group coaching 
And uh, yeah, but like, I think the, the one point I want to make is I actually do want to connect with you. So if there's something you want to connect about, like uh, making and posting content is cool. Like I said, like it, it's cool and, and I enjoy it and it's made connections for me. They're incredible. And that's certainly something about that, that it makes it a worthwhile endeavor because it opens doors for you and that's real. And I've, I've didn't know that was going to happen, but that has happened. So it's a cool thing about doing it. But what I get out of it is the actual connection. Like I want to be a resource to you in a meaningful way. And so if for some reason you want that in any way, I actually want to hear from you. Mm. I would like to like engage with you, not just hear from you. Yeah. yeah. And we'll put all that in the show notes. And so the last question is, I'm going to pose this in a way that I probably haven't asked for other people just because I think it'd be interesting, but it's really whatever your best piece of advice would be to a younger Claire of when she first got to Austin, Texas. And so let's say you were just getting here you just showed up, you're brand new, you don't know anybody, you think this entrepreneurship thing is cool, what would you tell Claire? What's the advice that you would give her? You want when I moved it here. Like, mm-hmm. you, we want to pinpoint the, t- the time in which I am literally the month that I turned 30 years old and moved to Austin, Texas, the yep. first time I moved outside of my home state my whole life. Yep. What would I say to her right then and there is simply focus your energy better. Because at that time, I was doing everything I possibly could do, launching a YouTube, launching a podcast, launching a whatever, taking this job, doing that thing, form community events a day. And guess what? I am a an extrovert, and those that number of community events is like disturbingly fine for me. But in order to make headway in business, like like I have made a lot of professional missteps by spreading myself so very thin across so many different things and allowing so much outside information to influence my decisions while just trying to do and that's just like being a human you know uh you want to listen to people they're trying to help you whatever but definitely trying to tune in to like what resonates heavily with me and then like focus on something that's actually gonna like move the mission Hmm. thanks for not 14 things that might Thanks for creating space for the show. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> per usual. <laughs> is that it? That's it. Okay. It's a wrap. Heck yeah. Okay. Hey friend, thanks for listening to the show. And if you have any feedback for me about the show or any other guests that you'd want to see in the show, definitely shoot me a message. I love engaging with my audience and figuring out how I can provide the best value possible to the people listening to this show. Before you go, I only have one ask of you and that would be to check on my three tips Tuesday newsletter. It's three marketing tips every Tuesday specifically for the health and fitness entrepreneur to help them attract new leads. If you press the link in the description, it'll take you directly to the archive of all my previous newsletters and you can decide for yourself if it's something for you. If you end up finding it helpful, you can just sign up for the newsletter and you'll get it in your inbox every Tuesday. Thanks again and keep hustling, my friends. People, We're not on yet. No. Are we? Okay, great. So <laughs> essentially, I've been recording this whole time. That's fine. <laughs> we got we got bloopers. Uh, I love my crossfitters and they're bad running. I relate to you. I am you. <laughs> <laughs>